Hello and welcome to Pumped the Inside Podcast by Schwalbe. I'm the host Tobias Vogon and normally I'm hosting here every Tuesday an episode of the Schwalbe Pump Podcast. But this week we have a special episode because we have a guest host. Our friend Ben Delaney, who just competed at the Unbound Gravel Race in Kansas, took the time after the race and interviewed some of our Schwalbe athletes about the race and the new tire. So have fun with this special episode and we hear us back next week in the normal episode of Pumped. Unbound gravel is many things to many people but it is always a challenge to anyone who takes on any of the distances on tap in Emporia, Kansas. I'm Ben Delaney. I'm your guest host on this special edition of Pumped. And we are today talking to a number of people who did very well at Unbound Gravel this year, including winner of the 200, Ivar Slick, winner of the 350-mile XL, Cynthia Frazier, and then the sports scientist and great bike racer in his own right, Lucas Lure. Uh, I did the 100 this year, which in any other event is a plenty long distance, but at Unbound is, is the baby distance. It's the short distance. I uh, managed to pull off a third on Schwalbe's new G1 RS tires. Was very happy with that and uh, only got away with about an hour or two racing in the, the mud and the rain. But now let's go to speak with the other athletes who did far better in the far greater distances and we'll start with Ivar who is now back home uh, in the Netherlands and now I'm happy to welcome to the pumped podcast Ivar Slick winner of the 2022 Unbound Gravel 200 Ivar great to see you sir how are you today thank you yeah I'm fine uh, back in the Netherlands and uh, yeah a lot happened after my win in Unbound I got a lot of uh, media attention, so yeah, it's uh, cool to uh, cool to yeah, cool to see. Absolutely, I mean, as you know, many of people, many people have been talking about, Unbound Gravel is the biggest race in America, hands down. Road cycling, yes. mountain biking, gravel cycling—that's that is the big one. And you came in and you crushed it. So congratulations on that. We definitely want to hear all about it. I want to hear like three types of things about you know just you know your overall experience at the race for sure. Um, but I also want to, you know, hear about your preparation, uh, for the race, like what, what your thoughts were coming into it. Um, and then now how, uh, what you're doing for, for recovery. So let's, let's, I want to start with your expectations, you know, like what, what did you know about the course? What did you think about the course coming in and what were you expecting? Like in terms of, you know, like a, the power output and, and, you know, how did you get your, your bike and body ready for unbound? That's a, that's a, a whole bunch of questions yeah. there, but like, what were you thinking coming into the race? I guess is the, the main yeah. question. Yeah. In 2021, I did uh, unbound for the first time and I wasn't, uh, yeah, well prepared. And, um, yeah, the lessons I learned from that race, uh, I took with me to this year's race. And, um, so yeah, I made, uh, a few mistakes with nutrition strategy and I went too fast in the beginning. So, I yeah, I couldn't uh, <laughs> yeah I couldn't slow down myself and was going full in the first part of the race. I was in the 
in the in the leading group of seven but then yeah i took too much carbs with me and my body couldn't absorb absorb it anymore and um, so i got stomach problems and i was dropped and uh -huh. yeah then uh, it was a hell of a race to reach the finish line and <laughs> after that i thought i thought i'd never come back to inbound again because it was so hard <laughs> But I also had a, a different kind of setup. I uh, am a beach racer from uh, or, or, original. Yes. And um, I had a beach bike. Uh, yeah, and with a uh, yeah gravel with a uh, race handlebars. So um, yeah, but that was uh, I was running fifty-seven wide tires, millimeters, the wow. G one around. Wow! At last so, year. Yeah, at last yeah. year. So, yeah. So that yeah, the beach tires. Yeah. Yeah, big yeah. tires. Yeah. On the on the tricky parts, it was it was good, but on the fast parts, it was it was uh, slow. It was slow, yes. and um, yeah, but uh, after all, I, I became 14, so it was not bad. And um, yeah, at the end of uh, 2021, uh, Mulier came to me if I would like to write the full gravel calendar for them, and um, so I started a uh, yeah one man team. And Swalbe came uh, to me as a tire partner, and um, yeah, with them uh, they get, yeah they supported me with the best tires, and I got a prototype the Swalbe G1 race speed. Yes, and I raced it. Uh, my first race was the, the first of May in uh, Girona, Traka Gravel, which you won. And um, <laughs> yeah, I immediately won, so that was a perfect start of the season and I felt already really comfortable on the on the bike and on and with the tires and so it was um, yes. a great start and and instead of 57 millimeter tires those were 40 millimeter tires right yeah so enough there was so, some yeah. cushion but still relatively lightweight and and fast yeah right? yeah it was a lot a lot faster and um yeah then we started our American campaign uh, together with Jasper Okulun. Uh, first race was Gravel Locos, uh, 14th of May, and uh, yeah, we traveled together for four weeks. And in Gravel Locos, we became one and two, yes. so that was a perfect start. Jasper won that race, and and uh, he is also riding with Swalbe, so uh, yeah, we were really happy and uh, yeah, got more and more confident in the tires because of Unbound is yeah well known of his tire shredding rocks, so a lot of riders. Um, uh, they get me mechanicals, uh, especially punctures. So, uh, yeah, you are always afraid to get the puncture during the race. But, um, yeah, before Unbound, the Wednesday before Unbound, we did uh, a ride with 12 and uh, got the new fresh tires, which are even more puncture resistant, and uh, made them tubeless with the... Uh, the dog blue sealant and stand sealant so yeah that uh, that combination went well for me during <laughs> the race because i had no i had no mechanicals and so that was uh, really uh, yeah really nice yeah that's that's exceptional I mean, as you mentioned people are i don't want to say scared of unbound but you most racers go into that race expecting at least something to go wrong. It's not a matter of like whether it will go wrong. It's like what will go wrong. And yeah. How often? Yeah. Whether that's you know flat tires or or, exactly. or mud clogging. <coughs> like, you know, Paul Voss was there on speed play pedals and he had to sit down for five minutes to get the mud out of his pedals. And, yeah. You know, there's there's the always muddy sections. Yeah. 
Now, I'll, yeah, <laughs> it's a, yeah. Oh, I just wanted to ask about your nutrition. You said you last year you had taken, you had too many carbs in your drink. So what, what did you do for nutrition this year? What were in your, in your bottles and, uh, you know, what were you eating? Uh, yeah, last year I was, uh, doing a lot with, uh, only drink, uh, drinking. So on uh, 90 gram of carbs, uh, an hour, but only from, uh, bottles. So this year I, uh, yeah, I, I combined it with, uh, bars, gels and beta fuel and isotonic, uh, drink mix. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And that seemed to work so out that fine. Was a lot better. Yeah. Now, Tell us about, I'm jumping around a little bit, but uh, at Unbound Gravel 200, there are two checkpoints. These are the only places where racers can take on additional supplies. There's two neutral water feeds where um, the race provides water for whoever, but if you want to take on more bottles or anything special for you, that's, there's two places where you can do that. So what did you put in those checkpoints and what did you, how did, how did that execution go? Tell us about going through the checkpoints. Yeah, what did you do? Yeah, last year we were at uh, Airbnb with um, and the Airbnb host. We had a support crew, so or Airbnb host was our support guy, but he had no experience and was a little bit old, is sixty-seven years. Yes. So uh, it was a little bit tricky, and uh, but this year we made it. Uh, yeah. A lot. Uh, it was a lot better organized with uh, the support of Swalba, and you you get a pass. We got the red zone, and then the Swalba stand at the with the blue flags, so you can ride to that and grab your bottles from the cool box and uh, get a new Camelback on, fresh Camelback on, and yeah, it was very uh, nervous in the checkpoints because everyone want to go as fast as they can. Uh, back on the bike and normally at the other races like Gravel Locos and Traka they waited uh, on everybody who was in the group yes and wrote but now uh, it was one for all and uh, <laughs> so it was really really a race but uh, yeah, the pit stops for me went well so uh, that was also something where I was happy about how many people were together just roughly like how big was the group coming into the first checkpoint and then into the the second checkpoint just approximately mm-hmm. Yeah, in the, um, in the first checkpoint, there were three, three riders in front, uh, Lawrence Tendam, Paul Foss, and Mattia De Marchi. And I was uh, yeah, in the yeah, second group of, of about 20 riders, 15 to 20 riders. Yes. Uh, because the pace uh, in the first three hours was uh, already quite high. And um, yeah, it was uh, for me, it was perfect because I, I wanted to do easy in the first three four hours and um you weren't going easy just for the record that was <laughs> maybe easy for you but you guys were flying yeah but i was trying to save as much as uh yes. energy as possible yes. because the year before i that was one of my mistakes so yeah i i had super legs i told also to sebastian uh, that i had super legs that day and uh, but i had to keep myself calm and then three riders uh, attacked and they had a gap of three minutes. So the guys in my group, they, they started to panic and they wanted to, yeah, we turned with 15 riders. So yeah, that was uh, yeah, a high pace and it wasn't that hard 
to ride with 15 riders because you, yeah, everyone do their turns. So with 15 riders, we went to the first checkpoint and then, yeah, every everyone uh, did that as fast as possible. Change the bottles, uh, get new uh, gels and uh, bars and uh, camel bags, and then we yeah, are maybe one or two riders were too slow and yes. got dropped. <laughs> And after that, yeah, we we chased uh, again. And after 200k, we uh, our first Paul Foss uh, came back, and then Mattia the Marquis. So Lawrence uh, dropped them both because he felt super strong that day. Yes. And uh, yeah, our group of 15 was also uh, getting smaller and smaller because of uh, yeah the hard parts and yeah also some punctured punctures. And then uh, we became uh, after 20, 220k at Texaco Hill. Yes. And it began to rain uh, heavily, and we saw Lawrence riding, so that uh, gave us a moral boost. Yes. And that moment, um, yeah, I went full, I went full gas, and yeah, I felt strong, like I said, and um, five riders could follow, and we went up and over Lawrence. Yes. So. Uh, it was a hard section with many climbs and uh, yeah, tricky descents and um, yeah, all mud everywhere and yeah, it was uh, where we were turning into mud, uh, mud men. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so when, when you're racing in the brain in the mud like that, is it better to be at the front where you can see a little bit better or do you still try to want want to be in the wheels so you can be conserving some energy. How do you balance those two things of, of wanting to see where you're going versus not being in the wind? Um, yeah, it was that section. It was just one for all, one for each other. So every man for himself, uh, we would say every man for himself. Yes. Yeah. You didn't yes. have drag from each other. So it was really tough conditions and, yeah, and, um, yeah, Keegan Svensson, who won the Sea Otter Classic, is a, he is a good mountain biker. So, he is. so he went very fast uh, to the muddy sections. And uh, Alex Heifermeul is also a mountain biker who was in the front group. Yes. And uh, at one muddy section, I made a mistake. And uh, I was also riding with road pedals. So Yes, I saw that. Your road pedals. Yeah, so that was... Uh, that was this advance on that part, but um, yeah, then I had to close a gap of 20 seconds on the four riders, but yeah, that went yeah quite uh, well. And from then I thought, yeah, I have super legs. And um, I started to believe in that I could really win uh, this race, especially after uh, Pete Stettina uh, was dropped. Yes. He, yeah, he bunked, uh, I think. He had no energy left in his uh, body. Yes. And at the second checkpoint, it was only 60K before the finish. That was also very fast because, uh, yeah, Ian Boswell, he did a very fast pit stop and attacked immediately. So uh, then I had to close the gap too. <laughs> and we were with three with Keegan Svensson. Uh, yeah, with three, and then Alexei Vermeulen could also close the gap again. So we were with four in the front, and the last 50k were, yeah, quite easy. Yeah, everyone was tired, and uh, 
yeah, we're waiting on the perfect moment to attack. But yeah, it was also difficult because we had to pass uh, the 100 milers yes. uh, on the sa same route. Yes. And then 15k before the finish, uh, Lawrence Tendam came out came out of nowhere. Uh -huh. <laughs> so we were uh, where you come from? But uh, <laughs> yeah, we were all, we were not riding that hard. So yeah, we were at five again, and at uh, yeah, he did. Uh, an attack but he said immediately to me yeah i'm so uh fucked. yeah <laughs> i'm completely dead and uh so he said already he can't do so much anymore but yeah ian boswell made a strong impression on me and from keegan i didn't know how he how fast he is in the sprint yes so uh so it was yeah, basically it, it was largely flat like the last you know 20 30 kilometers were pretty flat right yeah so there's no, there's really nowhere to attack unless you're feeling really good and exactly. then you come and then you come back into town uh you're going through the college campus and there's that one short hill but pretty steep um, yes is, and that's where alexi vermulen came off correct yeah he yeah he was dropped there and uh, did anyone yeah, try to he, attack or was everyone just riding pace and what happened on that? Well, Ian, Ian tried to attack and uh, Keegan jumped uh, directly on his wheel and and me uh, too on uh, Keegan's wheel and yeah, Lawrence had also to uh, to let a little gap. But uh, at that moment, I yeah I thought already yeah I have good legs still. You got I have this. Still something in in the tank. So and then uh, Lawrence uh, attacked the last uh, K, but yeah there was. He has not the explosivity. Yes. And uh, yeah, then we came uh, in the commercial street, the main street, the finish street. So yeah, that was, uh, you saw the finish line and I started to focus on the sprint. And Ian went, uh, yeah, quietly. So Keegan Svensson uh, went over him. But yeah, that was also a little bit too early. So yes. for me, it was perfect. Yes, yeah, I could. Uh, you had a lead out. Yeah, I had a, I had a good lead out. <laughs> and, uh, I could cross the, the finish line uh, in first place, and yeah, it was an amazing, amazing feeling. I was so happy. I was so happy with that, but uh, also, yeah, completely tired also because of the sprint and the long distance. Yes, uh, I really had to, yeah hang over my bike and but I, so many press came came uh, with me it was yeah, overwhelming by uh, media attention it yes something i never uh, experienced before <laughs> yes you got swarmed we all had to run down the past the finishing shoot to catch up with you there and yeah uh, yeah your yeah your bike your body was still trembling from the from the effort of you know nearly yeah. 10 hours going hard i know you said you were going easy in parts but even when you're going easy on that surface it still yeah, it takes yeah. takes its toll on the body so that was an incredible yeah, exactly. ride congratulations again on that yeah and also the more it, yeah also it makes more even more cool that i'm the first non-american winner and in, in the past time ever so i'm yes. really proud of it and, and also so in the Netherlands, I got a lot of uh, media attention. So invitations for talk shows and podcasts and uh, radio shows. So yeah, it's really cool to uh, 
to experience. Great. Well, well, well deserved. Congratulations on that. Enjoy it. Now, what, what would you, you the one, one question that's always funny to ask people as soon as they come across the finish line is, hey, would you do this again? And usually people, even people who place pretty well, will say, no, that was a horrible experience. I don't want to do it again. Obviously, you, you're, you're smiling. You're, you're eager to come back and probably win again. <laughs> if you do come back, what would you change about your bike setup? You know, I was surprised to see the road pedals that you had on. And I was also surprised to see that, you know, even though you had aero bars, you didn't have shifters on the ends of the aero bars. Would you change either of those two things? Or is there anything else you would change about your bike? Or did you, are you happy with it? Do you have yeah. it dialed? Um, yes, I, I, of course, I'm happy with the bike. But um, um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not really a fan of aero bars. And uh, I think maybe uh, next year they get banned for the pro riders, and yeah. uh, because of the safety and the level gets higher and higher. But um, for my, I have a special uh, Villiers Filante arrow handlebars. Yes. So they had to custom make uh, the mounts for to mount uh, arrow extensions. Uh huh. So uh, yeah, that process took uh, three months to develop and produce them for Villiers. So uh, yeah, that's why uh, that's why I was riding with arrow bars. But in the race, I didn't use them that much. Only when I had to chase back. Yes. After that muddy section, where, what I told, and yeah, sometimes in the group. But um, yeah, I think next year no uh, arrow bars anymore for me. And uh -huh. um, uh, yeah. What about maybe, what about pedals? Uh, Will you still ride road pedals, or do you think mountain bike pedals? Yeah. are the way to go. No, I will still ride road pedals because <laughs> I think I, I, uh, yeah, I have better power, uh, yeah, resistance. Yeah, transfer, I power can, transfer, yeah. yeah. Transfer, power transfer. Yes. And, uh, and when it's dry, you have no, uh, yeah, no disadvantage of mm -hmm. uh, road pedals. So, uh -huh. yeah. Okay. And now, yeah, now I have a... Uh, It'll take a group set, so maybe change it to Durais and uh, and go even some, faster. Uh, go even faster with some upgrades and uh, like ceramic speed or something. Yes. It looks cool to me, but uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you obviously seem to do just fine with Ultegra. So just, I've often told people that the only difference between Ultegra and Durais, you you can't tell it with your eyes or your body, only with your your credit card. And a scale, yeah, and a weight, exactly. and a weight scale, but you know the function is the same. Yeah, so this was perfect, and uh, yeah, this was perfect bike setup for me. Yeah, tell me about your recovery. What do you what do you do after you race and win a two hundred mile gravel race? What did you do the days after? Just pack up your bike and jump on an airplane, or how do you how do you recover? Yeah, yeah, on uh, Sunday or uh, yeah Saturday uh, evening after the race, we had a barbecue, so. Yeah, a little party till uh, 12 o'clock, so not too late. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we woke yeah, we woke up early because of you, you sit in the rhythm of the race because the days before the race, we always uh, stand up at 4 o'clock, like race day. Just to get yourself and, in uh, the rhythm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So su Sunday we were... Only, uh, so it was a short night and then you had the podium awards 
at 8 o'clock. So that, uh, yeah, that was a nice moment, but also a little bit uh, sleepy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, yeah, then that day, yeah, you feel uh, you feel your legs are your legs are hurting, and yeah, you are not so productive. But we had to pack our bikes, and um, yeah, I had, I had also another podcast with uh, Lawrence Tendam mm-hmm. from Live Slow Ride Fast, so that was uh, also nice to do. And uh, yeah, in the afternoon we uh, yeah we packed our bikes just easy <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, we went uh, for dinner with our uh, Airbnb host, we, who was again our uh, support crew guide. So yes. He's a very nice guy. And uh, next year we will certainly uh, come back to uh, his place. Going, to stay. going back with Brad. Yeah, he's got it dialed now. Yeah, with Brad. Yeah. Yeah. Now he's in- famous now in Emporia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he's very proud of us. Yeah, as he should be. Fastest pit crew in Emporia. So now you're yeah. back at it. You're back at work. We're speaking to you today from uh, Jasper, your friend Jasper Okalun's uh, sock office. You're selling the Jasper's Sokolun socks. What what yes. what's what's next for you this year? Do you have any more events on your calendar, or is it uh, looking towards next year already? Um, no, I have uh, in June, June and July are uh, yeah not many gravel races, but I will do some uh, road races. Um, also, uh, criteriums, so that are not so long, <laughs> two hours, yeah. two hours of racing. And then in, uh, August, um, yeah, there are some UCI gravel series like, uh, gravel grid and grind in Sweden, in, uh, Hoeverlise, you have one in Belgium, yes. Yes. Italy, Italy and the Netherlands. So that are four gravel races and, um, yeah, we want to go uh, one more time to the U.S. this year. And maybe that's in August for uh, Leadville and Steamboat. Yes. Or in October for uh, Big Sugar Gravel and uh, Belgian Waffle Ride in Kansas. That, that's uh, yeah in the end of October. Yes, those are all great ones. And our, yeah, and about the World Championship Gravel, there are, there's uh, still a lot uh, uncertain uh yeah, it's not sure if it will uh, be held this year. Yes. But if it's going, uh, yeah, if there will be a world championship, that's also a big goal for. For sure, for sure. Yeah, and, and yeah, and if world championships happens, I think that will be cool. And you've obviously got a great shot. But honestly, I feel like right now, Unbound Gravel is effectively the world championships of gravel. It's the biggest. Yeah. It's the biggest gravel race in the world, and you won it in dominating fashion. So, congratulations once yeah. again. Ever Slick, champion of the Unbound Gravel 200. Thanks for taking the time to speak to us and wish you all the best thank in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. We are here in Emporia, Kansas with the Unbound Gravel XL winner, Cynthia Frazier. Day after, how are you feeling after your odyssey across the plains yesterday? Um, I'm actually feeling really good. Um, the walking down the stairs is a little bit tough, but I feel pretty good. I've done some big rides leading up to this and... I felt, I think my body's learning how to recover. Uh, This is my second year of doing these longer distance things, and I think I'm starting to get into the groove of them. So for those of you who aren't familiar, the XL is a 350-mile nonstop gravel race. So the contestants start at 3 in the afternoon under the the hot sun and head out into who knows what conditions, and the entire thing is self-supported. Unlike the other 
uh, events that run from 25 miles up through 200 miles where there are checkpoints where crews can assist you and uh, neutral spots where water can be taken on in the XL, you are all on your own. You can stop at gas stations or maybe knock on the door of a farmhouse, but you are self-supported. So how do you prepare for an event like this? Yeah, that's a great question. So when when you practice like anything, you learn what you need. And I've got enough space on my bike with bags to carry uh, two liters of water in a frame bag. It's an Apodura bag. And then I have uh, three bottles on my bike. So I went with no Camelback, but I still had enough space to carry almost 10 hours of food, probably more. Uh, but every time you stop at the gas station, gas stations or sea stores, as they're called here, um, they you just are making sure you're getting enough food so you'll never run out. I have some emergency food, like little peanut butter packets. Um, but you're just always taking note of what you have and making sure that you'll never get to a point where you will run out. Because if you do, then obviously you can't finish the bike race. <laughs> Things that you can't run out of or you don't want to run out of. Hydration food electricity because it's dark it turns out at night and you're in the middle of nowhere uh and then energy which is i would be nervous about all of those things uh how do you you've done the xl once before Mm -hmm. um in leading up to this did you train by riding overnight or do you just uh show up and go for it what's the what's the psychological or physiological preparation for that I, when I was training last year for it, I tried to look up some information online about like what to do. And I really couldn't find very much. But one of the things I did find was they suggested you practice riding through the night. So last year and this year, I actually, um, I did a route uh, that, that leaves from a part of the state in Virginia and goes south. It's 250 miles and it's overnight. It's a, it's, you could, you could sleep if you wanted, but I, I went all the way through, um, and it's it was really good practice for me just to be able to know where my you know electricity plugs in and all the things. Um, so I do I have a dynamo hub in my hunt wheels, and then I, I connected to a sine wave beacon light, and that way I always have light and I always have charge. Um, I also carry a spare light uh, that I put on the helmet if needed, but I don't don't think I need as much light as most people. I never actually use a spare light, but you never know if you're if something happens, the connection goes dead. It's always important to have a backup. So just in case, I have a, a spare tail light and a spare um, helmet light for the ride. Yeah, it's just Murphy's law. If you've got it, hopefully you won't need it. If yeah. you don't have a backup, yeah, there's not uh, not much of a plan B. In the farm roads of Kansas. A, a number of people do gravel events to complete them. Like Celine Yeager's got a phrase that I've stolen. That there's there's competers at the front and then there's completers. You came in this to win. How does that change your motivation uh, throughout the night? Is, is, is the competitive fire going the entire time? Or is that more just like in the, in the back of your mind as you're just in the moment riding through the night? Well... Typically, I make multiple goals, like sort of contingency goals, if you could say, because you never know. So much can happen in such a long race. Um, In this one, I actually thought I was going to get second. Uh, You know, I was maybe 80 miles in, and I I never saw Scotty, who was ahead of me. 
Um, but it's an ultra race and anything can happen. So we ended up catching her um, after she had a flat. And then, you know, at that point, we were together for a really long time. Um, and it was only until I could... I, she got dropped from our main group like 240 in that I knew that I was in the lead and um, that she couldn't hang on to the group that we were with. So at that point, unless she got a second win, I knew that I was going to win. So that's when I really had it in my mind. But until that point, I was really careful not to because you don't want to think you're going to win and then get caught and then get second. That's the, that is the worst feeling ever. <laughs> so um, it wasn't until I had 110 miles left that I was like, wow, I think I'm going to win this. And I rode as hard as I possibly could to get to the finish so that I could I could make it there first. That's crazy hearing you talk about just 110 miles at the end being like, oh, just like the last little portion, which was longer than most uh, uh, yeah. bicycle rides that most people have done ever in their life. So congratulations Thank again you. on that. Yeah. One, one, one more question, one more two-part question. Yeah. Uh, the event comprised all sorts of things, terrain, weather conditions, people, crowded, solo. Uh, a cheesy question, but I'm interested. What was what was the best part for you, and what was the worst part for you? Um, the best part was the group of people that I rode with. That's my favorite thing about bikes is the people. I wouldn't probably, although I ride many, many, many solo hours by myself um, in racing or at home, I just love the relationships that you build. And somebody from the 100 um, came up on us and knew one of the people in my group we, we had maybe 75 miles left and he was chatting with us and he said, oh, is this your family? Like he knew we were in the XL and we we're like, yeah, this is our family. Like we had been riding together for like eight hours at that point. And it really does feel like family. So the people and like the relationships you build is what I love the most. Um, the worst part was probably, um, I don't hate rain. I do like it, but it was chilly, and I didn't bring anything extra warm. I just had a jersey and shorts because I I didn't really have that much space. You didn't have a jacket. I did not. Um, I'm a, I'm a, I'm like a hot person, so usually if it's like 55 or above, I'm okay. Um, but I was a little cold at the end. Um, so the rain it was twofold cold, and then stuff was getting in my shoes and and my feet are actually. I, my feet are the thing that hurt the most right now because there was like sand and you know when you're putting your foot down if there's something underneath your foot it really is irritating so 50 miles of that I had to immediately take my shoes off at the finish that was the second thing I did (laughs) after drinking champagne (laughs) yeah yeah well nice work congratulations again Cynthia Fraser of the Velocio Exploro group and winner of the Unbound Gravel XL 2022 thank you so much thank you appreciate it Continuing our discussion with athletes who have done Unbound Gravel in its many capacities, we are here now with Lucas Lure, the sports scientist and Unbound Gravel 200 first-timer, uh, to talk about uh, you know, his preparation before as a very methodical scientist person, uh, and then what his experience was during the race. So, Lucas, your first thoughts, how was Unbound Gravel 200 for you? Hey, thank you. Um, nice to meet you. Nice to be here. Um, I'm very glad to finish the race, first of all. Um, my preparation was a little bit like, uh, can we say, I had less time for, t- for training. So I didn't have the, the long rides or something. Uh, my training was a little bit shorter. But also, um, that's the reason why I, I don't know if some guys are know, but uh, like 40, 20, 40 seconds high intensity, 20 seconds low intensity intervals, why this is good for gravel racing or gravel, uh, long gravel stuff. I think we can 
talk about a completely podcast episode, <laughs> but um, it works very well, I think. And in the preparation, I had quite good legs um, and then came to the race and everything blown up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, welcome to gravel. That's yeah, often how it goes. And yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's a test of equipment. Sometimes it's a test of patience. Sometimes it's a test of wills. Sometimes it's a test of all of those things yeah. at once. What what surprised you uh, coming here for the first time? You've you know you studied the race. You, you were aware of it. You know, what was your impression of the events and what the challenges were going to be beforehand? And then what was the big surprise or a big surprise or some big surprises once you were in it yeah um the big surprise was that there are so many surprises <laughs> um first of all i love the spirit of gravel racing it was my first time uh, doing some gravel race stuff and especially here in aporia it's quite nice community uh, really open for everyone that was really really cool um never experienced a so friendly community like this and in the race I'm a former road racer, so first I'm more into positioning stuff, doing how to corner something, uh, doing in the slipstream. And the first two hours was quite good. It was, a, I think, the fast gravel uh, road, the first 30 miles or something. Um, we had, I don't know, like 38k per hour uh, in average. So I was always positioning in the first top 10. Uh, there are some hilly, hills um, in the, on the race uh, where the completely field split into pieces. And I was in the front group of 30 riders or something. There were Lachle Morton, Alex Haus, uh, Peter Stettina, Ian Boswell, all the good guys. And I was like, oh, I'm here. Cool, cool. <laughs> Let's stay the whole day. And then, uh, like I said, the, the completely... Yeah, surprising part begins. So first of all, I lost my saddlebag. I lost a tube. I lost a multi-tool. So <laughs> no option for anything. Um, then I st have stopped uh, to to uh, fix some some cable stuff and so on. Um, put it in my jersey, and then I want to join the group again. But it was the worst worst time to stop in from the peloton because um, these guys thought, okay, now we race again, yes. <laughs> and I was like shit i have to uh keep the pace and i really get it uh, in half an hour or some stuff riding 300 something watts um to get into front group and there was uh zep uh, again and was like hey i'm the front group yeah you're the front group ah, cool cool uh -huh. 500 meters later i have a flat tire oh, no. <laughs> i jumped into a um very sharp rock uh, so um not blame the tire he <laughs> couldn't do anything um then i fixed the the tire but um, I can't. Uh, first time with the salami stuff, the, the um, you know the the, uh, oh, the bacon, the bacon, yeah, the yeah, bacon. yeah, bacon, the tire yeah. tire plugs, yeah, it yeah. just looks like a little strip of bacon, and yeah. you use like a tiny little fork to push it with in there a, with a diner plug and ram it into the tire. Uh, so this was the first time you had used a plug. First time. first time to use the plug, and I was like, oh, I don't know how to do it. <laughs> just ram it into the tire, and was like, get the the air a little bit into it, but not completely. And just pumped uh, with a with a uh, CO2 at I don't, I don't know maybe two bar or something, and I lost again the 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 whole uh, air in the tire, and it was so so um, exhausting to ride with I don't know one and uh, one bar or 0.5 bar I don't know how much psi it is, but very very less tire and was like um, jumping on the rim all the time and was completely exhausting myself just to keep the pace of the other guys till yeah, the first feed zone. Because you know you would want to have more air in your tire, yeah. but that would require stopping and losing the group and just doing the calculations of which is worse. And, yeah. Yeah. 
I was thinking, I don't know, 30 miles. I was th thinking, do I stop to put some air in the tire? Just let it go. I don't know. And there was one point I said, okay, you have to stop. You put some air into it. I put some air into it. I don't know, two bars again. Then I wrote it like, oh, yeah, you have to do it very earlier because it, now it's very, very good. But after that, uh, it lost again the air and was like, I don't know, just 10 minutes or something. And then I'm rolling on my rim again um, and then completely tried to hold the group, but it didn't work. And, uh, and after the first feed zone, I had to, uh, the possibility to check it, to repair it again. And then it was very, uh, very much better than, than before. Yes, I mean, for those of you who aren't familiar with the Flint Hills of Kansas, which is where we are, Flint is a very sharp type of rock that Native Americans use for arrowheads because it is so sharp. And yeah, like you, I never used a plug on tires. I've been you know, riding bikes on and off-road for 20 years. I never used a plug until I came to Kansas my first time doing this race years ago. And it seems like such a strange thing. And it's incredible how many mechanicals you see during the course of the race there'll be like dips down into little gullies and there's water across the the trail and you, know, you can't see what you're hitting and and almost every every gully on the other side there would be you know people by the side of the road ah 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 you know i've seen like some tires that have you know 10 and 12 plugs in them they look like a, a muppet with also all sorts of hair coming out of it yeah it's just part of the Part of the experience, and it's yeah. unique, unique to this area. Tell us about aerodynamics and gravel, and what you were thinking about that beforehand versus, uh, you know, what your experience was. Aero bars are a hot topic, of course, in gravel racing, and when you're by yourself, that can be a huge advantage. When you're doing twenty, thirty, where you're trying to chase back on, or where you're off the front. Tell us what you chose to use and why, and and if you do this again, would you do the same thing or something different? Um, I would definitely um, recommend aerobars for especially the the long straight uh, gravel roads. So um, maybe not all of the roads yesterday, but um, the long and fast gravel roads when the, when the gravel is very hard and you are very fast. Um, I was training uh, the day before on the the first two long straights was like two straights of 15 kilometers something and i was like doing alone alone on, on my bike in my aero position was testing a little bit and was just cruising i don't know 200 watts or something and just hold 35k per hour i don't know can you translate it in miles i don't know uh yeah, Okay. No <laughs> okay, great. Um, I was like 35k per hour just by 200 watts or something, 210 watts, and there was a small um, descent. I had in my position just not turning the pedals, just roll. I had 64 something k per hour, so um, the aerodynamic is so so much important. And uh, when you're in the in the peloton in the field, it's not doesn't matter that much because you can you can uh, stay in the slipstream, you can be upright, you can uh, breathe a little bit easier. But if you are in the front, and especially when you're alone like me yesterday, completely race, I don't know <laughs> half of a race, uh, I had some groups of five six riders. Um, we we turned some pulls, uh, and then if, if I was in the front, I was doing 260 watts or something. Just getting my position um, on the on the fast straight road, uh, doing 38, 39, 40 kilometers per hour, and everyone behind me was very, um, yeah, had some difficulties because they said, "Hey, be, uh, riding behind you is like riding in the wind. <laughs> I don't feel any slipstream." Yes. Um, I have to say, I, I'm a little bit aggressive on my position like doing really like that uh, seems like a time trial bike and i talked with them N next year we come with a tt bar 
we said that we can't have a TT bar because we don't need the, the, um, the drop bars, just the TT bar and that's it. And everyone, uh, every time you had the chance, get into the position because you save so much watts, uh, especially on gravel. Uh, we tested on the track um, at, um, at home and in Germany. You can really save up to 30, 40 watts when you're cruising around 40k per hour just to stay in your position. Yeah, sure. The, the science of aerodynamics, physics is a real thing. It's a measurable thing. But testing on a track and riding in the rain and mud on gravel roads are, are two different things. I'm surprised to hear you say that you would want to use a, a time trial base bar uh, just because, some, yeah, there's some descents where... Were you in the in the drops at all or no? Um, so, sometimes I was in the drops, uh, in the descent, because to to um, uh, to lift my my uh, center of gravity a little bit backwards, yes. so on the on the rear wheel. Um, but I think I can hold it in the TT bar as well. Uh, I was very often in my my hoods, um, and then get back into the TT bar again. And uh, also on, for, for aerodynamic reasons, um, like like Sebastian, we tried some stuff like where you put your bags. You, uh, you have to st um, keep some storage in your uh, in your bike for uh, bacon <laughs> or new tubes. And if you do um, like frame break or something, you know, okay, um, it's like um, aerodynamic new neutral neutral. Um, so it doesn't cost you anything. But it doesn't get you faster or something, so you can say, okay, if I want to storage, uh, put some storage, you can do a frame back or something, and then you're going for the TT bar, <laughs> and then put in, going into the the um, extensions, and you lose, do not lose anything. Um, like uh, Jasper wrote, uh, some some bottle cages behind the saddle. It's also like you're crushing the the, the wind in the front, so it doesn't matter if it's. Um, on, on the back of the of the saddle, it's also aerodynamic neutral. Maybe cost you one or two watts. It doesn't matter, but you can store another one kilo of of, uh, of liquid um, or one one and a half liter of liquid. And this is especially for for pacing strategy or maybe losing some bottles or something. Very important thing uh, when you have, especially like yesterday, uh, cruising 120 k's or I don't know 60 70 miles uh, to the first feed zone uh, will arrive. So you have to yeah uh, make some strategy around your around your race. Yeah, often when we talk about strategy in bike racing, it's tactics. It's like sending guys up the road or attacking or counterattacking with gravel. A lot of it's just like the logistical strategy of like what's your plan A, then what's yeah. your backup plan once that goes NCD. goes wrong. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So there's there's a number of different uh, distances at Unbound Gravel. There's 25 mile, 50, 100, 200, and the 350 mile craziness of the XL. Two questions for you to start. Final two questions. One, are you going to come back? And two, if you do, which distance would you like to do? <laughs> um, I will definitely try to come back. Um, it was very, very cool race, and I hope for um, better weather. Better weather would mean for me. Uh, I like hot days, hot, hot dry days, maybe 30 degrees Celsius, I don't care. But um, when the, the roads are dry and you are very fast, that is what I like. And I, that's why I think I would ride the 200 again. It's like a little bit more road racing stuff than the XL. Um, the XL is just, um, not just, but it is <laughs> die slowly. <laughs> um, keep your pace all the day and night. Um, so who can ride the most watts without sleeping and do not fall off their bike? Um, and the, the 200 is like you can uh, really get deep, but if you uh, stay in the group, you can uh, relax a bit. So the, the tactical is a little bit um, yeah, more, more um, adaptive than the, the XL. Maybe going for the 100. Um, 
I heard it's, it's much more fun. Uh, twice as nice. Twice as nice. <laughs> you can uh, really go deep and then uh, relax again. Um, but I have, I'm not, I'm not uh, happy with my race yesterday. So maybe I have to come back to get a revenge. Absolutely, and that's how these races get you. You do it one time, and you think, "Well, I can, I can change if I change this, the training, the preparation, yeah, tweak the aerodynamics, and yeah, never yeah, ever again." But never ever again. And but on the next day, you're like, "Ah, okay, maybe, maybe I have to I have to do something." <laughs> right, we'll look forward to seeing you here again next year, Lucas Lure, sports scientist with Science.cc. Thanks very much, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you, thank you. All right, folks, that will do it for us this time. Again, I am Ben Delaney, and I thank you for joining us on this edition of the Pumped Podcast.